Hi. Hello. Hi, everyone. We have a very exciting evening in store for you tonight. Uh, many of you uh, are already big fans. Uh, for some of you, this will be your first exposure to uh, our guest tonight, Timmy Black. Timmy Black is a, a Los Angeles podcaster, and uh, he's here to record a live podcast from his award-winning series, The Lives of Contemporary Artists. Uh, I'll refer to you, uh, refer all of you to the program, and uh, so you can uh, read Timmy's bio. He really didn't want me to go on and on about um, about uh, about about himself. Uh, so without further ado, uh, let me introduce to everyone Timmy Black. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. You're, you're very kind, you're, you're very kind. That was a great welcome. Uh, I'm just gonna put these headphones on and um, uh, we're just gonna run through this as if it were broadcast uh, on my podcast. So, uh, and as you can see, I have a live band in front of us. So thank you very much and uh, I hope you enjoy it. This is Timmy Black, and welcome again to another episode of The Lives of Contemporary Artists. Now, I'm not typically in the business of recommending books, I'll confess. I'm not much of a reader these days, like many of my listeners. I've developed a kind of radically diminished capacity for sustained concentration, and as such, I'm not really in close contact, you might say, with the written word. I mean, I, I do have some contact with books. I mean, I, 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 do, I do read uh, after, a, after a fashion. I, 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 I listen to audiobooks, and, and those count. Listen, you can't really live in L.A. without audiobooks with all the, all the driving that we do out here. I mean, you gotta have something to do in the car besides staring at the, at the brake lights in front of you. But, 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 I, but I, don't, I don't really do audiobooks that much anymore. I mean, ever since I, I cut down on my commuting, uh, ever since I was, I was laid off, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, fired from, from, my, from my job, uh, fired from my adjunct teaching job. See, I was teaching, I was teaching advanced concepts in painting at, at one of our state universities, and I, I guess there were a few complaints about me, about my, about my teaching methods. Uh, apparently, uh, a couple of students claimed, uh, I guess with some 
degree of justification that I wasn't really teaching anything. I wasn't really offering any substantial guidance or instruction. They said all I did was just stand around and, and force the students to listen to my podcasts. <laughs> but come on, I, I need the clicks. It's all about the clicks, right? Anyway, besides, painting is dead anyway, right? So ever since I got fired or laid off or for all I know blacklisted, ever since I lost that job, I, I haven't been driving as much. So I, I, I really don't have the opportunity to even listen to many of these audio books. But anyway, back to this recommendation, this book, this book that I read and, and I really read it as, 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 as a book, something I held in my hands and, and turned the pages of this book. Anyway, this, this book that I read was, was this great memoir. And if I know my listeners, I'm pretty sure you will love this book as well. It's called Playing the Cards You Have. My Life in middle management and it's by this woman her name is sue jane beck b-e-c-k who according to her wikipedia page worked for 25 years as a project manager for the pre-trial service agency of the district of columbia it says here that that that, that this is her very first book and that she never really considered herself a writer until she discovered through playing words with friends that she had this knack for, for rhyming. Now, her book is about mediocrity. Mediocrity as a virtue. It's about how being mediocre shouldn't necessarily become an impediment or on, on, on having or, or hoping to have, if not a full or, 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 or a fully fulfilled life, at least, at least having a more or less pleasant life. Now, by mediocre, the author doesn't seem to mean necessarily talentless or, or average, though it can mean that. It has more to, more to do with, with, with something more active. See, for, for Sue Jane Beck, B-E-C-K, mediocrity is more like being earnest and innocuous. Or I think the way she put it in the book, here, uh, I've got it in front of me. She writes, being mediocre is about being unexceptional, clear, though not vacant, and above all, sincere. That's nice. She has this chapter, it's adorable, about adolescence, about how she used to dream of being invisible. It's, it's in a chapter called Dating, Creating, and Skating Through My Teens. <laughs> and she tells the story about how much she, she loved math because there were so few group projects involved, and I, I think artists can relate to that. But, but the memoir is pretty unequivocal in its contention that one could, one, if, 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 if only one could apply a kind of mild, uncommitted diligence with a minimum amount of perseverance, it is possible that one could actually persuade oneself that, that, that their life, that one's life, One's colorless, maybe even humorless, but certainly commonplace life could actually appear to have some consequence or even meaning. Now, she, she, she never really defines meaning, but one, one gets the sense that, well, you know, 
I, I don't think she herself is sure what she means, but, but that's what I love about this book. There, there, there are no grand conclusions, no epiphanies, no pronouncements, no numbered recommendations, just this vague groping after some elusive point. But, 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 but this meaning thing, this, this meaning, this, this is very important to her, and she never even comes close to invoking the Lord. She thinks, she thinks that's cheating. She calls it a gimmick. She calls it the God card, which, which I, I think is, is pretty clever. She's especially interesting when she gives warts and all a blow-by-blow -blow account of all her failures and all her insecurities. I was, I was taken by her stories of her youth and how her crippling efforts to gain traction among the cool kids in high school produced in her an anxiety so profound that she nearly dropped out to join the Navy. She talks about the imposter syndrome and how padding her resume to get her first internship inspired a lifelong passion for mime. I was equally drawn to her struggles with adulthood, where she talks about her, her phone being her friend, and how she learned not to feel guilty if she found greater comfort in Twitter and eBay rather than struggling to simulate the, the more arduous rituals of intimacy. She talks about ambition and how a working life buried within a bureaucracy offers a rare and genuine form of consolation in a world rife with so many choices. She is particularly eloquent when she describes her deliberate estrangement from what she calls her complicated self. She talks about the moment when she blinked and she realized with terror what an introspective life really required of her. She describes how liberating it was when she realized that mediocrity never involves the unnecessary exertion of self-examination. <laughs> Why look at yourself, she writes, when there are so many more pleasant things to look at that don't exact such a high psychic cost. She's well-versed in the literature of self-help, but she readily concedes that artificial positive thinking is a, is a phantom, a dodge. But there's a good reason why it's been such a goldmine for the publishing industry. She's very poetic with what seems to be her essential critiquer. She says that there's a desperate hunger for simplicity, for, for tedium, for, for apathy. There's a fierce, burning desire out there to be left alone, to be left alone, to live a simple, shallow life of, of minor cosmetic engagement. <laughs> In a rare comical aside, she points out that the ubiquity of technology has seen the most dramatic rise in the sale of sofas and lounge chairs since the late 1950s. And in one of her more memorable lines, she writes in what may become the next viral catechism. The people have spoken, and all they really want is to relax. As for me, relaxation has never been an option in my self-appointed role as the modern-day Giorgio Vasari chronicling every stinking detail in the lives of contemporary artists.